Welcome to VS Voices. I'm Amanda Ducadene. Emily Ratajkowski is a model, writer, entrepreneur, and activist. In this interview, we talk about the last year in Emily's life, how she's learning to heal, why she's speaking up about the rampant misogyny in Hollywood, and what it's like to be back in the dating pool as a mom, model, and feminist. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. I haven't seen you in a long time. I know. It's been so long. Oh my gosh. I don't know. Five years, right? Probably. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I was thinking about the last time we spoke or I saw you and I was thinking, my God, your life has changed so much. Yeah, because I remember kind of being actually Kamala Harris fundraiser at Katy Perry's house, I think it was the last time. Yep. That's the last time we saw each other. And you weren't married. You didn't have a kid. Your whole life was so different. Yeah. And then I read something that you wrote, and I think I sent you a text saying, your writing is so good, you have to do more of it. (laughs) Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you. When I look at kind of the last year for you, I see that like a lot has changed in your life from, you know, being married and then not married and raising your kid. If you could sum up the last year, what would you say that it has taught you overall? Oh my God, I don't know if I can do an overall lesson. Um, I just feel like I really grew up in the past year. I mean, my son is two and a half now, so I'm really um, just like loving being a mother. Um, I live with my best friend and my son. And, you know, I really have just kind of like a very independent lifestyle outside of, you know, taking care of him. And I really enjoy it. I also started a podcast this past year. That's oh, been, I know. That's yeah, three episodes a week. So that's been really crazy. Um, but I would say this has been like one of the maybe favorite years of my entire life, which is um, which is great. Which has been a surprise, honestly, in a lot of ways for me. If you had told me maybe fifteen months ago that I would feel the way I do, I wouldn't have believed you. How is that living with your best friend? I lived with my best friend for 15 years, even while I was married, and she helped me raise my kids. So I'm in big favor of that. I love it. I mean, I can't believe that it's real. We've known each other since I was 14, and we always used to talk about raising our children together and, you know, would kind of be like, oh, when we're old ladies, we'll finally be together because we always had boyfriends and whatever. So having this time to to live together and especially with my son and kind of create a family has just been amazing. Mm. And how do you like doing the podcast? What prompted you to do that? Uh, It was really an extension um, from the book of just kind of wanting to do more media. And I was interested in the podcast space, partly because I grew up listening to NPR and I just felt like it was something that I would kind of naturally good at. Um, And it's been an amazing year. I'm really excited for kind of like what's what I've learned in the past year and what's going to happen in its new iteration. Um, But, you know, it's very different than anything I've done before in the sense we do three episodes a week before that on any creative project I've ever done. I'm kind of a perfectionist and I really like to kind of like you know, make sure everything is exactly how I want it to be. And when you're doing three episodes a week, you can't do that. No. Um, but it's been kind of a good lo- lesson in like finding that balance and just making a lot of things. And um, I mean, I really enjoy talking to people. I've gotten to meet so many interesting people that are in, particularly women who that are in my industry. 
um, and hear from them and connect to them. And that's been really incredible. And you're doing it three times a week. So do you like, is this kind of the primary thing that you want to do? Because I can't imagine there's a lot of time for other stuff. I mean, shockingly, there is um, because I'm traveling so much for work modeling. Um, But it definitely takes more time than I want to continue because I'd really actually like to start writing again. Um, And I also just think that for me, I'm really interested in like video content which we've started we started posting um interviews on on youtube and that's really kind of taken off though so i'm sort of i'm going to be adapting what we've been doing for the past year um with the with the podcast into something that's a little bit more manageable so that i can get back into writing and also just like i'm constantly exhausted between having a two and a half year old and then like traveling at a moment's notice for for modeling and, and then also having the podcast it's just like it's too much Yeah, I know. I was saying to my husband last night, I was like, I've been a mom since I'm 18 years old. I've been working since I'm 15 years old. Like, I'm tired. Yeah. You know, like just prioritizing. It's like you you have to prioritize at some point. It's like you're prioritizing your kid and then it's your work. And then you have to kind of move the priority around. Mm -hmm. But I, I guess for myself, one of the things I really learned in the last, you know, couple of years is that I have to move the priority to myself I have to make myself one of those buckets that gets prioritized. Did you, have you made any time for yourself within this? Yeah. I mean, I think for the past, maybe for the first year after my separation, I was just like really interested in being super social and like, you know, being single. And so that was how I prioritized time for myself. Even if I was exhausted, you know, going out and meeting people for a drink or whatever else. And now um, I've sort of like shifted gears. I don't know if it's just like where I'm at and my process or my life. And I just really love like a cozy night at home and honestly, like going to sleep very early and getting a great night's sleep. It's not that I do that every night. I just am doing that a lot more. And um, that's kind of the self-care that I'm that I'm finding. Yeah, I saw that you had interviewed Esther Perel, who I love. She was involved with my series, The Conversation, in the beginning, and she's just profound. And mm-hmm. I wondered why you had chosen to interview her. Um, I just love I love her books. I also think she's a really interesting public figure um, in the sense that men and women really both are super interested in what she has to say. Um, which isn't true for a lot of people. I yeah. think there's like people who are like the guys kind of person or the girls and she really kind of just everyone is interested. Um, and I really like her work and I've seen a lot of her interviews and I was just kind of interested in some of the things that she brushes up on, especially around like power dynamics in relationships, but that she kind of, you know, I would say like she, she uh, what she said to me on the podcast was like, this could be a whole other book and I'm not ready to like totally, you know, write that book. Um, so I was really kind of excited to kind of push the conversation forward a bit with her because she has done so many um, TED Talks and podcasts and interviews that, um, yeah, it was it was great. I It's one of my favorite episodes. Yeah, she's she's amazing. Have you read Mating in Captivity, one of her yes. first books? Yeah, so good, isn't it? Mm-hmm. How do you feel about marriage now? Um, I feel that marriage can be beautiful. I think that we are kind of in an interesting moment culturally around partnership. Um, 
because women are making more money than they ever did and men are not graduating from college as much. So the sort of traditional gender roles that we associated with marriage have just fallen apart. And you can see all the data and the statistics, but you can also kind of feel it in the zeitgeist that, you know, the traditional way of dividing labor in a home has to shift because things have shifted in the world. And um, I'm curious and excited to see like what kind of new models we come up with for partnership and for marriage that are more equitable. And, um, you know, yeah, I, I I just think that there has to sort of, there's a little bit of a reckoning happening in that sense. I think it's been happening for a while. And it's interesting to me that there has not been a new model that has been developed yet. Um, I think we are in the process of it, as you say. But I think the gender roles have been so turned upside down that often, you know, people don't know what their roles are. That's what I'm seeing. Yeah. And I think that there's also all kinds of feelings around masculinity and femininity and like what roles you play in the home that can be really hard for people to reckon with um, in the sense of, you know, they're like, oh, my wife is the breadwinner, I feel emasculated. Or, you know, if a woman feels like, well, I do X, Y, and Z, I don't feel like a woman. And I think we just have to redefine what masculine and feminine are and, um, you know, kind of break some of these really just like things that are not working, these patterns. They're very, very archaic, you know, and they just, they don't apply anymore. And I think what's happening is, you know, a lot of women are doing all the labor they were doing before and then on top of it, also being the breadwinner. Um, and I think that's just, you know, that's not sustainable. It's not sustainable because the home labor is unpaid labor. Yeah. So we've got like one full-time unpaid job and one full-time job job that actually earns the income. So yeah, I am very curious how, how that is going to play out. When you choose to go on dates today, has your criteria for a partner changed and in what ways? Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, when I was younger, I was less discerning um, about kind of what I what I thought I needed in a partnership. Um, I kind of like not in a in a bad way, just in a very like swept up in romance type of way. Whereas now I'm like I can enjoy romance without needing to like live with someone um, and like build my life oh, around yeah. them, you know, yeah. So I think that um, I still have a lot of romance in my life, but I'm just like the person that I actually want to like live with and build a life with. There are particular qualities or just ethics or ideas that will have to also really be in line in a way that when I was in my early 20s, I just never would have even I just didn't know how to conceive of that. I mean, I was married and divorced by my first marriage. I was 18 and then I was divorced by 22. And I kind of felt like I saw a, a video that you did talking about getting divorced before 30. And I was thinking, you know, for me, I got divorced by, by 22 and I had a kid and I had been married and it just gave me that what I was interested in in a partner shifted because I no longer needed to find someone to procreate with and I was earning my own money. So I didn't need someone to like support my life. And then the choices that I was able to make were really based on what are you adding to my life? How are you, how is this additive? Because I'm, yeah. I'm kind of, I'm self-supporting. I got a kid. I'm good. I have amazing friends. I have emotional connections. So if I'm going to date you, you really have to be additive. Otherwise, I'm, why? 
It's so funny you use that word because that's a word I use with my friends always. I'm like, and it's not just with romantic interests or like with men, it's like with everyone. I'm like, just mm-hmm. is this additive? Is this does this make my life better? Because things are kind of great. And um that's a great place to be in, I think. You've spoken a lot about how your you know, I guess your relationship to beauty. Do you think people have been attracted to you based on the fantasy of who they think you are as opposed to the reality of you? I mean, I think now um, that's something I reckon with more. But I think women in general experience that. Like, you know, there's this sort of like expectation to, you know, be this kind of like femme Barbie and then it's like, hello, I'm a real person who, you know, has like all kinds of emotions and um, needs and whatever. And I think that that's something, you know, a lot of women experience and I'm presenting people. But I feel that, you know, when you actually have a genuine connection with somebody, you have a genuine connection with them. And I'm always like a little slow about letting new people into my life in general, just because I think everyone should be that way. And, you know, I feel like time always shows what people are actually interested in. So, yeah, I mean, that's that I always say to my girlfriends that you can't really tell who someone is until you're at least, I mean, at the very earliest six months, but like give it a year, you know, and people and and when you have a kid, for me, that filter always went through like, would I want this person to meet my kid? Because that's when I that's the litmus test. Totally. Um, I think Fly is just like so wonderful. He's a wonderful person. Um, and I want wonderful people around him all the time as much as I can possibly control that, which, you know, he can't control everything. But um, definitely I feel a responsibility and an obligation to the people that I bring around Sly for them to be, you know, the kind of people that I I would want my child to be influenced by. Yeah. I have two daughters and a son and I... I feel like as a mother raising a son, I will consider myself having done a great job if I can put my son out in the world and whoever he chooses to have a partnership with, that they won't have to raise him uh, in the way that I've had to raise so many people I've been in relationships with. Like, I hope as a mom that I can put a boy out in the world who, you know, has a respect and a care and an empathy for women in a way that so many men don't, unfortunately. And I was wondering about your lens on what kind of boy you're hoping to raise, knowing that we have they're their own people and they're going to be who they are, you know, regardless. Yeah, I mean, I'm really interested in him having um, a couple different things are really priorities to me. I mean, I think like a strong sense of empathy, of accountability, and then also like a political awareness of like power dynamics. He is a blonde white boy who will be raised in New York City with, you know, a lot of privilege. And I think it's really important to me that he has an awareness of the world um, and his his position in it. But, you know, that's not something I'm like planning on right now. But it's some these are some of the things I'm thinking about. I also think just like redefining masculinity, like I want my son to be able to express emotions like cry and not feel like he's somehow less of a man or less of a boy. So that feels really important to me. And um, I think that, you know, Gen Z's definitely done a better job with that. And I'm hoping that his generation even takes that a step further. Yeah. You know, one of the things that has always frustrated me is that there is, and you've spoken about this as your desire to 
be heard as a writer that it's like women cannot be more than one thing. Either if you're sexy, you can't be smart and you definitely can't be funny, sexy and smart. It's like there's a kind of limited range that we're allowed to be. Do you feel like your experience has shifted with that? I think that the world has changed a little bit. I think um, having mediums, I mean, I think writing a book, having a podcast, having like media like TikTok to be able to be funny in a way that I just never was able to be on Instagram is really helpful. I think that people's attitudes are changing and there's sort of a, a more of an acceptance and an understanding of um, like people in general as being 360 and multidimensional. I think also I just don't care as much about people underestimating me or trying to put me in a box. Um feel like I have proven to myself that I am all the things I want to be. And it just feels like such blatant misogyny when people try to say anything different that it just doesn't impact me as much as I used to. Just like yeah. I used to like really care and it used to be something that I wanted to really, you know, fight against. And now I just think for my own happiness and also living by example, you know, just being the example is more important than, you know, talking about it. Yeah, I hope it changes for other people too, you know, I, I really do. And I think you living that truth is the best example that we can have, you know? Yeah, I think that some part of me, you know, in the past would have been like, oh, this is going to be confusing to people and I'm, you know, marketing myself or I'm trying to build a career and, you know, my livelihood is tied to this persona. And um, now I'm just like, I don't care if it confuses people. They're going to have to deal with it, you know? It sounds like you just got to the point of like letting go of what isn't serving you. Yeah, I think that's true. All right, let's talk a bit about the Icon campaign that you're in, as well as the Wings campaign. I didn't realize, but this is actually the first time that you've worked with VS in your career. Yeah, it's um, a full circle moment for me. Um, Victoria's Secret and the, my subsequent rejection Um is in the book. And um, I actually said this on the pink carpet at the event they held for the world tour that, you know, there was a point where when we were shooting in Barcelona and I, we went out to drinks, a bunch of um, the models and people I've been friends with and have worked together. And we realized that all of us at one point or another had been rejected by Fias in the, in the past. Wow. Yeah. So I think it's cool that Victoria's Secret, you know, has changed. And it's really a beautiful thing for me because you know, there was a moment where I did want to be an angel. I wanted to be, you know, one of those women, they seemed larger than life. And then I sort of carved my own path that was separate from having to do the show and do all these things that I thought like that was the only way to become a successful model. Um, and, you know, basically 10 years later, they're calling me an icon and, you know, they've come to me basically. And that that feels really good personally. And also I feel like it says something good about the world the way the world's moving. Yeah. What was your experience like working on the world tour with them? It was great. I mean, um, again, like I said, there were so many familiar faces there. Some of my, like one of my closest friends was also doing the project and um, we had a lot of fun. And what designer did you work with? Boo Boo. Oh yeah. She was amazing. I, yeah. I interviewed her for this. Oh, nice. Yeah. She was awesome. So what from that experience of being in the world tour, what would you say is a, one of the most memorable moments for you? Oh, my God. Um, I really enjoyed choosing the wings, putting them on and shooting with Carlene, which was separate from the boo-boo 
you know, all of that was also amazing. But I think, you know, because those wings represent so much and having that moment of choosing your own and shooting with a female photographer who I think is just one of the best photographers around right now, um, that was just really special. Yeah, because the wings mean something different today. Yeah. Than what they used to. I think so. I think the, I mean, I've always, one of the like themes of my life of my book is always about control and choice. And um, I think that for me, it's like the fact that I got to choose my wings. I got to choose what I wanted to look like. That All of that, you know, sense of control is, is really important. Mm. I mean, I'm sure you have that, that you have more choice and ability to set boundaries in your career just because of where you're at now. How has modeling and that experience changed for you today as opposed to, you know, five years ago? Oh, my God. I mean, so much, especially, you know, 10, 10 to, yeah, there's been different phases. Um, but, you know, I think also the way that I've written and talked about control has made people who work with me um, understand, like, the importance of that stuff to me in a way that's um, really gratifying and makes the whole thing easier. Um, but, you know, the idea that there was like empowerment involved in modeling when I was younger, like any kind of empowerment. I don't really like that word because I think it gets abused. Yeah. Um, but like that was sort of, you know, it was the girl boss feminism era and everyone was like, oh, you know, and, and I felt there was power that what I I gained from, you know, like modeling and being beautiful and being sexy and whatever. But um, it's so complicated, right? It's like not that simple. And it's not I don't think it's actually like real power in some ways when you pay a high price for it. So now being able to, I mean, just even talk about these things and then also, you know, be creatively involved in the projects that I do. I mean, it's really it's a dream come true. It's interesting what you're saying about the illusion of beauty and what, you know, being a beautiful face and body gives us and that it is an illusion in some way. But it's it's weird. It's like a double edged sword, because on the one hand, it is the biggest currency in the world. You know how desirable we are. That is a very powerful currency. And yet it also it can fall apart. It, it doesn't It doesn't have true roots. I mean, I think for me, it's a line from my book, and I'm going to butcher it, but it's one of the ones that when I wrote it, I was like, that's it. Um, which is that, you know, the, the men who grant you power based on your desirability are the ones who actually have power and you are indebted to them, which yes. means that you don't have control, which means you don't, you can't be necessarily safe and you can't, and you're certainly not in power. Um, because somebody else is basically holding the puppet strings. And that's not something I realized until I was, you know, older. But that to me is the issue with, you know, using commodifying image and beauty and sexiness and clout as a femme presenting person. Like that's you. There's something about being looked at and by, you know, people deciding that they desire you that actually gives them power in a way that I didn't understand when I was younger. I think ultimately, if our image is the commodity, the people who are running the companies and the corporations who are funding our image being used are the ones who still have the power, which is why we need more women in positions 
of power to be able to make those choices, which I actually don't see that having changed too much over the last 10 years, sadly. A lot of, a lot of headlines about it, but not real change. Yeah, unfortunately, a lot of, and particularly in fashion, like, you know, they have diverse campaigns, but then nobody is actually people of color or women or trans people or anybody is not controlling behind the scenes. And that that's really where, you know, the power is. So it's yeah. like nice to create an image that, you know, alludes to diversity, but you need to have that needs to be in the leadership of, of these companies. And so often it's not. And it's very transparent. And it's, you know, once you get behind the scenes in companies, you see that that's often not the case. It's actually one of the things that I looked into when I decided to work with VS as well and saw how many changes they were making on a leadership level and on their board that I was like, okay, this is this is really encouraging because most companies talk a good game, but they're not walking the talk. 100%. Yeah. So I have one more question for you, which is, what does authenticity mean to you? Living without watching yourself. Um, and I mean that in, in any capacity. Um, I think just like being authentic is living without being overly concerned of the, of the perception of others. So I think that's what that means to me. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. It was great to see you. I hope to bump into you soon. We will, I'm sure. You have been listening to VS Voices, the official companion podcast to the VS World Tour. My thanks to today's guest. And if you love our show, please comment, like, and follow us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And as always, you can join me, Amanda Decadene, on Instagram. VS Voices is part of Victoria's Secret's ongoing commitment to creating positive change for women. Together, we are amplifying the voices and perspectives of women from all backgrounds. And please remember that sharing stories brings us closer together. Thank you for listening.